at North Street Cabaret on Saturday, January 6th at 8 p.m. Live music lives at WORT Madison. Welcome to the Access Hour, where each week WORT offers you the opportunity to fly your program over the radio. The Access Hour is WORT's commitment to community access to the airwaves. For this hour, we have turned the airwaves over to a member of the public. The views expressed on the Access Hour do not represent the views of the station, its staff, programmers, or the board of directors. We'd like this show to be as unpredictable as possible, so we need your creative ideas. It's a fair trade. You give us what you've got, and we give you the facilities and any help you need to get your program airborne. So let your mind wander and wonder. And when the inspiration for some pretty good radio glows with a clear, bright light, get in touch. Just go to wortfm.org and look on the left side for Sign Up to Host an Access Hour. Programs are scheduled first come, first served. And now it's time to begin another foray into the freest form program on the WORT schedule, the Access Hour. Oh my gosh. My name is Amy. I am a local therapist. This is my first time doing this, so please bear with me. I did feel the bright glow to sign up for an access hour slot. I think it's a really cool thing that this station does that. Um, and I came up with the idea of a live call-in advice show because something I've always kind of wanted to do. And my whole goal here is to help people. I've been a therapist for over 15 years and um, working in private practice now. And as I mentioned as the promo mentioned, uh, not really looking for very serious calls tonight. Um, if you're having thoughts of self-harm or harm to others or not love, wanting to live anymore, which is slightly different than thoughts of self-harm, I'd like you to think about calling 988 for mental health services and resources in the community. Um, I just love Madison, and this is a really nice way to be able to try and give back a little bit to the community with my expertise. Um, just a couple things. I, I'm not your therapist necessarily and um, can't do an assessment or anything like that, so I can't give you actual directives, just more uh, suggestions. Um, so topics like maybe New Year's resolutions, struggles during the holidays, uh, family issues, relationship issues, self-esteem, other situational issues, work issues, um, seasonal affective stuff. Just to me, those are a lighter fare. Um, so and if I can't help you or, or don't come up with ideas, I will redirect you um, where you can go for help. Uh, so, again, this is going to be a live call-in show. So the number to call is 608-256-2001. That's 608-256-2001. If I do accidentally say you should do something, please autocorrect that in your head, pretending, like I said, you might consider doing, but I'll tr really try to keep the language like that because I'm, I'm used to being kind of directive and solution-focused. I have a little bit of a stuffy nose, so forgive me for that. Um, and just quickly want to thank Emmett and Adrian for helping me put the show on. And uh, my child, Blue, who came in to volunteer here a few months ago, and I mentioned it to the person, Adrian, doing the tour, and... I said, I want, I've always wanted to do this. And she said, well, I'm the producer for the Access Hour. So that's how that happened. Okay, so I don't know if we have calls coming in yet. Okay, so if you're feeling nervous about calling, you don't have to give any information, not even your name. You can just say, you know, you'll be a caller. And you don't, you don't have to be nervous. I'm nervous sitting here with all this experience I have. So that's okay. Um, I have topics to talk about um, if we don't get a lot of calls. And I've asked some people to call if, if no one's calling um, to discuss different mental health topics. Um, because it has been a rough, long few years um, 
I wanted to start off by saying you're not alone. You're not alone out there. You might feel very, very alone. Um, yesterday on the news, I saw a piece about um, loneliness being a quote unquote epidemic in our country at this point. Um, unlike other cultures where they live with family members, they live in communities, we tend to be quite separate even from our families. And that is very, very hard on people. I would say it's one of the things I hear most about maybe week to week is the isolation and the loneliness. And this was going on before the pandemic, but the pandemic, of course, made it way, way worse. Um, as far as people having to stay in and then being afraid to go out or reach out. A lot of people turn to the internet for a community, which is great, but a lot of people don't have access to that. Or, um, So I wanted to speak to the people who might be listening to this and just let you know that you're not alone. There's people out there who want to help you, want to connect with you, I know if you're suffering from seasonal depression or just depression in general, it's it's very difficult to reach out. It's It feels impossible um, at times. So, but once you do, you might open doors of tremendous support and resources. And I've been in those kinds of moments in my life where I had to rely on my support network and that's really important so when we get really isolated and and lonely um we don't feel that support network there um that can make things a lot worse and make people not want to really live or enjoy life um and you know watch a lot of tv and stuff like that which not gonna lie i do i love tv but we have to also get out there and experience life. Um, so if you have a question, oh, we have a caller. We have a call. First caller. Okay. Go ahead, caller, with your question. Thank you for calling in. Yes. Hi, my name is Ruth, and I'm calling a, about a question about self-esteem. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've always heard about myself is, oh, you, uh, you know, you're so confident, you're so this, you're so that. And yet I don't always think I have very good high self-esteem. And so I, I almost don't even know really what that means anymore. Like what is self-esteem and how do I improve my self-esteem, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to ask. What a great question. It's, it's probably my f- favorite thing to work on with people. And I think the reason you might seem outwardly confident or, and I can hear from your voice, you're, you're, you sound bubbly and gregarious. We often learn early in life how to quote unquote mask where we perform um, from, from a very young age uh, to please the people around us and navigate our little worlds um, where our inner world, even as a little one, might be feel very very different than what we're how we're behaving how what we're showing others and then we go up through life kind of with those same skills if you will they're adaptive skills basically um sometimes they can become maladi- maladaptive skills they're survivor survival skills um so often what people are seeing of us does not match that internal um, feeling about ourselves. So defining self-esteem, I think a lot of people do use confidence synonymously, and I, I would not, I don't think they're quite the same. Um, self-esteem to me means loving yourself and accepting yourself and respecting yourself and feeling good about who you are. Um, if you feel a deficit there, it's important to look at the reasons why that might be. So I often obviously suggest therapy to um, kind of excavate where those beliefs first started or feelings about oneself first started. 
and there can be pain that's buried from many, many years ago um, that needs to still be healed. It lives in our body, it lives in our our being. Um, so it's a private uh, journey to heal and grow your self-esteem. To me, that's what it is. It's it's about loving yourself from the inside out. Um, and it takes years sometimes of, of work to to do that. Um, is any of this making sense, Ruth? Yeah, I think it does a lot. Our, our, what I was wondering, it sounds like me exactly, um, I was wondering if you had any, maybe some tips and tricks of things that I could do um, like on the daily that yeah, would help me yeah. improve that? For sure. So one thing I usually start my clients on right away um, that my first therapist when I was 27 here in Madison, Beth Benhammer, I can probably say her name. She told me to say, I love you, Amy. And I put my hands over my heart and I close my eyes. I don't say it into a mirror and I kind of push love into my own heart and create like an energetic circuit um, and say, I love you, Amy, like that with, with real compassion. And at first it felt really awkward, cheesy, um, even a little painful, like not physically. Um, and now when I have clients do that, the harder it is for them to do it, the more I know they need to do it every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Because it means they're not feeling that. And um, it's sort of related to affirmations, which I, I often assign as well, which people can roll their eyes at. But honestly, if you think about it, if we are running sort of recordings in our subconscious mind that we learned in childhood or adolescence that were less than, we're worthless, we're dumb, uh, these things that damage our self-esteem. If we're already, our brain is already believing those things falsely because of our early programming, we have to reprogram the beliefs about ourselves. And one way to do that is going through the frontal lobe back into the deeper parts of the brain with the affirmations. And I usually suggest three in the first person. Um, often I, I'll assign like, I am important. I am safe. And then maybe one more that applies specifically to that person's story. And they can be very powerful. Another thing you can do to get those in quicker um, is to cross your arms over your chest like, and, and tap your hands on your arms alternatingly. It's called bilateral stimulation and helps the um, affirmations, I think, um, from trainings I've had. This is supposedly... <laughs> Um, can sort of start to believe those things quicker. And I had a client say, well, aren't you trying, then you're just tricking yourself into thinking those are true. And I'll, I'm always like, well, you were tricked into believing the other things. They also were not true. Mm -hmm. And so why not try and start believing the beautiful things, the true things, that we are all important, that we can be safe, we can... Uh, enjoy life. Um, it was funny because the segment right before this show was all about water and then a song about water. And I was thinking, you know, that's another daily tip, honestly, not just for self-esteem, but for overall mental health and physical health is drinking lots and lots of water. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> I don't like drinking lots of water, but that came to mind. Um, and Doing the things that we know we should do, you know, walking and just moving our bodies, making connections with people, um, being around positive people. Um, do those tips sound helpful? Yes, I just made a whole list. Oh. 
<laughs> so I made a bunch of notes. So I appreciate it. That very much helps. And yeah, it helps it's like, you know, new year. Yay. One of the big things is not to blame yourself. If you, that's what a lot of people do is blame themselves if they've got low self-esteem. 99% of the time, it wasn't your fault. Maybe close to 100. I mean, we all come from a upbringing that usually has issues in some form or another. I don't think I know a person that didn't have some issues in their childhoods and... <laughs> That's where you learn these different beliefs about yourself, others, and the world. So you're allowed to try and change those beliefs about yourself, others, and the world and and go for it. Um, I just had a thought, but it went right out of my head. So That's awesome. It feels like you've given me permission to do that. Yes, exactly. It's not your fault. It. it and so I want everyone listening to know that if you feel bad about yourself or your life, a lot of it probably wasn't your doing. But it's now, unfortunately, your responsibility to uh, get well and start your path of recovery and self-love. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Happy New Year. You too. Bye-bye. Is there another call? Okay, so that was fun because that really is one of my very favorite topics um, is learning how to love yourself. And I don't like to say despite your flaws, but like with your foibles, with your personality, um, and having a growing appreciation for who you are as a person. I've always been a passionate person and for many years felt like, oh, I'm too loud, I'm too opinionated, and I'm too this, I'm too big personality-wise. And I finally came to a point in my 40s where <laughs> I just was like, yeah, that's who I am. That's what my friends like about me. And I need to stop trying to be something I'm not. Um, and it was a liberating feeling, but also slightly disappointing because I I thought like I was giving up trying to be a more quiet, uh, stoic person. And I don't know why I felt that pressure the whole time, but I finally accepted myself. And that's, that's a big deal because you, you know... Um, where certain things about yourself might potentially rub people the wrong way or and that's not to say we we shouldn't continue to try and prune um, ourselves but keeping that self uh, acceptance in the forefront and that also makes me think of self-forgiveness which I've been talking about with a lot of people lately. Drinking water, like I suggested. Um, people talk, are confused often about what forgiveness is. It's a really nebulous term in a lot of ways with people, forgiveness for other people from our past and parents or other family members, friends, and and also ourselves. And I find that it's hardest for people to forgive themselves. Say they they caused others pain and heartache in the past, or they've struggled with a substance abuse issue in the past or currently, and they weren't the parent they wanted to be at different times. It's very difficult for people to forgive themselves for past behaviors. And I'm sure there's extreme examples, like when people have committed, you know, very bad crimes and things like that. So I don't know. Oh, I'm being reminded to give out the phone number 608-256-2001. That's 608 256 2001 please call someone with anything um i'm not as nervous now so i can probably handle it <laughs> um 
I think Emmett didn't want to hear about the uh, self-forgiveness for some reason. Just kidding, Emmett. Um, I think the way we forgive ourselves is through a process of realizing that we are so deeply human and we didn't have any kind of training manual or dress rehearsal for life. We're going through everything for the first time. When we're having children, when we're starting a job, when we're, you know, getting married um, or whatever, we're, we're bound to make mistakes. And if we can look at someone else and say, well, you know, you had this going on and this going on and you forgive this other person so easily, it stands to reason that you'd be try to transfer that same compassion onto yourself and that same understanding um, onto your own behaviors and choices and then try and do better with them. But self-forgiveness is, is really huge and we all have things that we wish we would have done differently. Oh, good. We have another call. Yay. Okay, go ahead, caller. i just calling as a testimony for Amy. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I worked her for, with her for many, many years. And what she's done for me is pretty amazing. I think you know my voice, but I'm not <laughs> going to say my name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aw, yes, thank you. Um, that and, means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think what you're doing right now is, I think it's right up the alley, Amy. I think <laughs> you know how much I love you. But <laughs> Thank you. I just wanted to call and let you know that I recognize you and I'll be listening all the time. Aw, thank you so much. Okay. Okay, Happy bye-bye. New Year. Um, Happy New Year. That's really sweet. I was going to suggest if people want to hear this show again in the future to feel free to email or call the station um, because the access hour is just to sort of try your hand at it. Um, I can have other slots in the future, but to have a regular show, which I would like to do, um, I have to present to the programming department or news department or something. So feel free to call in or, or write an email, um, wortfm.org. So 608-256-2001, if you're having trouble with work or... Oh, we got an off-air question just handed to me. It says, I would like to lose weight, but I can't stop overeating. Would hypnosis help me? Well, I unfortunately can't answer the last part of that question. I have known people where hypnosis helped them, um, but I wouldn't know where to direct you or I don't actually, I've never done that, so I don't know personally, um, but I have heard of that helping people. But however, the other part of your question, this is probably the number one New Year's resolution, right? For all, like, who knows what percentage of population to lose weight. And the overeating is probably one of the most common issues people have. I work with, I've I've worked with, and I still work with people who have a relationship with food that is problematic. And that's how you kind of have to look at it as a relationship and how you're eating and what you're eating um, reflects that relationship. Um, Again, in our country, we we have a problem with obesity. We have a problem with uh, abundance, really, of food and resources so we can waste them and what I've seen with the eating, I'm not a, a, I'm not an eating disorder expert, but what I like to explore with my clients is um, that relationship where food becomes your friend, your comfort, um, 
it's always there. It's always reliable. You always know what you're going to get when you have that food. It's usually a substitute for other relationships. So if your partnership or marriage is there's some problems or you're having trouble with other relationships, often people turn to food or they're lonely. Again, because it's a, a constant positive experience in the moment and then people are sometimes flooded with guilt and shame afterwards which goes back to the self-esteem discussion because I often feel like shame is the underlying addiction with a lot of things um, that you go back to feeling bad about yourself after a certain compulsive behavior and that that shame is the actual addiction that it almost doesn't matter what the drug of choices alcohol drugs gambling porn food um underlying all those is that feeling of shame and and low self-esteem so often you have to work again from the inside out building up that that self-love once you start respecting yourself more, you do start to make different choices. If people just set out to, I'm going to work out more, I'm going to eat better, they're kind of putting the cart before the horse, really, because you can't change the behavior in a sustained way if you don't feel differently inside. And, you know, I see some of these weight loss programs on TV. I, I don't know what they're doing. They supposedly address the emotional side, but I don't know. Um, but I can, I often have tips like eating more mindfully. So real, you start with really small, small, small changes that you can actually accomplish and you build on those accomplishments. So you have this power of choice in every single second of your life. It often doesn't feel like we have choice, but we do in every second and there's a big power in that when you have a compulsive behavior it feels like you don't have choice in the moment it feels like it's automatic and that's why for example in programs like AA the first step is like you don't have control over this but um, I like the 16 step program by Charlotte Castle who says you know you do <laughs> she has a more empowered um, position um, but either way, whatever helps you. But I, I believe you have the power, and we often don't recognize it because it doesn't feel like there's a pause between the desire for the thing and then, you know, doing the thing. But that's how you overcome a lot of compulsive or addictive behaviors. Put a pause in there. So I was saying, make these tiny, tiny changes first. Take little baby steps. And so with the food thing, I usually recommend um, slowing down the pace. Um, it's, it's a common uh, habit for people to eat fast and in large quantities. And then your brain doesn't even know you're full for I don't know how long. And then you're, you're full. You ate probably way more calories than you needed to. And I think there's something about the amount of food in our mouth that feels comforting for people. And so slow down. I mean, that's a probably good piece of advice for everything in life. I've had to learn that. Um, take smaller portions. Um, that can really help. I'm getting another off-air question. Oh, this is nice. I wish people wouldn't be afraid to talk on the phone, though. Talk on the radio. Okay. Um, so, with the overeating, yeah, I would say analyze your relationship with the food. What are you getting out of it? Is it a friend? Is it comfort? And then starting with little tiny goals. So, smaller portions, eating slower, really tasting the food. That's part of mindful eating as well. Um, drinking water, um, 
You know, I'm not going to lie. Overeating is fun. It's great. All of our big holidays, Thanksgiving, Halloween, all through December, there's food, 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 food. Um, so it used to mean survival. Well, it doesn't mean that for us anymore, really, for most people here. It, so we have to regulate it. And when I've worked with folks, it seems like the the eating issues started really young, where food was a big part of the family culture and overeating was modeled and um, food was often given as a comfort or reward. I mean, if you're hearing this, you're probably thinking of examples of when that's true. You know, you're in grade school and everybody's trying to get the pizza party, you know. It's all pizza and ice cream. And so we have a complicated relationship with food. The whole country does. <laughs> you know, you hear about, I think I just heard recently that there's a, one of the Greek islands has the longest living people. And it's because of the way they eat and live more peacefully they eat more of this mediterranean diet they don't like pig out like we do here we don't you know we have all these buffets and everything so i think it's a cultural thing it's a it's a societal thing and then it comes right down into our own home and our own private lives um, the other suggestion might be to to eat with or around other people because one thing i've seen with um Binge eating disorder is um, eating privately in large quantities. Not necessarily binging and purging, but just secretly eating. Secret. And we all know that um, a lot of addictions are, are kept secret from others because there's that shame factor. So I hope that helps. It's hard not to have you on the line. Um, I could probably go on and on about about that um but again really tiny goals so that you can meet them oh i have a call and i have a paper thing but i'll take the call first caller you're on the air i think is the person still there I'll answer this other question first. I didn't get the call, Emmett. Okay, maybe they hung up. Okay. Um, feel free to call back. Uh, no, oh. I'm here. Oh, they're here. They're here. Okay, go ahead. Hi. Um, so this kind of goes back to, like, the weight loss body image thing. So I feel like, especially nowadays, like, with social media, people are always, like, comparing themselves to other people, like, this person's prettier than me. This person's thinner than me. I want to be like them. How, why do you think that is? And do you have any tips for how we cannot do that as much? <laughs> well, you cannot do that as much. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, that's huge. Thank you for that question. Um, in therapy world, we have a saying called compa compare and despair. And you, we see, if you're online and scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or any social media platform, you could see literally hundreds, if not thousands of images every day of other people. And our brain automatically compares ourselves with them. Um, you can get to a point with your self-esteem and comfort in your own body where you don't do that. Um, maybe cause I'm 52, I don't really do that as much anymore. I'm like, whatever, um, I exercise, I, whatever, but I, it just isn't as big a thing, but, um, no, it's a huge issue for kids, adolescents, teenagers, twenties, thirties. I mean, maybe throughout life. Um, and, and not just for women, for, for men, for everybody. And, I think it's a huge problem and 
you know, many, many news stories and research have come out saying that the harms of, of social media. And um, I've had friends and clients who go off or take breaks from their social media platforms for a while because they do find it's having a harmful effect on them. Um, and again, I think it's going back to the self-esteem thing and trying to, instead of looking outside yourself at what this person is, that person is, going into yourself, doing some meditation, sitting with yourself and thinking about the things you like about yourself. Sometimes I ask clients at the beginning of working with them, what do you, tell me three things you like about yourself and they can't even tell me three things. And even after knowing them for one hour, I can list at least five or 10 things about them to them. And you have to get to the point where you can do that with yourself and, and not in a conceited way. I mean, just um, a healthy way. And another thought I'm having is every single person that you see on social media also has problems. You know, it's it's a veneer it's a facade that we see on social media of other people's lives people usually post the most flattering pictures and the most happy moments but we all know that i mean we can probably think of all of our family and friends right now every single one has a problem going on um not that that's good that these people have problems but it's this the truth. So sometimes I suggest to people when you're looking at someone and you feel jealous of them for some reason and you're feeling like you're comparing and that you're they're prettier, try to have compassion for them and think, well, I don't know their life. I don't know their problems. And I'm glad I'm me. And that, again, goes back to the self-acceptance thing. It's like being glad you're me, becoming your own best friend. That sounds cliche, but I can honestly tell you it is the single most important relationship of your life is the one you have with yourself. And I've tried to limit my social media, um, my phone use. It was getting bad for a while during the pandemic. Okay, it was getting bad during the pandemic, so... um, you can set a timer on your phone, which I just found out from my kid a few months ago, and I've cut my phone use down by 50%. So that's, that's if that's too much, maybe set, set the timer for a little bit each couple weeks and, and wean down on it a little bit, and then try and thank your body. Like when you get up in the morning, thank your body. It works so hard for you every day. Your heart, your brain, your eyes, your arms, your feet, your legs, everything's working so hard for you. Don't be so hard on it. Like, thank it, you know, thank your, this beautiful machine you've just been given for free. Um, thank it and honor it. Um, thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay, next caller. Oh, hi, Amy. Yeah. Well, my name is Nicole, and I have a question regarding, well, for those of us that were, I don't know, brought up to suppress our feelings, how would, what would you suggest that we do to just just open up to receiving therapy? Great question. Um, That's super common, Nicole, is learning to suppress our feelings. Um, It's even more so with the men and boys which is really sad and unfortunate and but also with girls with everybody and um the first thing that came to my mind with that well a lot of times people don't want to go to therapy because their trust is so damaged okay and and they have learned to suppress their feelings and not show them outwardly um one of the most important things i've learned over my years being a therapist is to be honest with yourself first. And then you start trying to be honest with the people around you. And often I think people skip over that first part. So if you really sit and think about how you feel about something, you know, you might realize, like, I hate 
my marriage. I'm so unhappy. But all the while, you were like always yelling at your spouse or something and taking it out on them. You might sit, you might sit and think, I really dislike my job and the work I do. I, I need to change this. And maybe that's going to be really hard. But I, I don't think we can share. I mean, you can share your feelings with others before you know your truth. And that's partly what therapy does is it helps you figure out what your truth is. And again, not to sound cliche, but that, that's the truth. It's like, how do you really feel about something? And if you were taught as a child not to show feelings and not to show emotions because it, it wasn't received well or you weren't comforted or you were even made to feel bad for having them, it's going to take some work with, with someone to help you feel safe to start sharing what what really happened and how you really feel about stuff. And as you go through that process, you'll start to be able to do that in your life. And the hardest one, and I've only been able to do this the last few years of my life, is to tell people they've hurt your feelings. And you have to not really be attached to the reaction because you're allowed to say how you feel. Um, I'm sorry that happened to you because as children, we often have big emotions and they feel big to children. And it's important for parents just to be present and not necessarily try and fix the feelings, but be present with them. Um, but again, we didn't have a roadmap when we became parents and our parents didn't have roadmaps. So there's sometimes they were that was modeled for them. And that's not an excuse, but it's an explanation for why, you know, they may have been forcing you to suppress or discouraging, I guess I should say, from, from showing emotion. Some people think that that's safer, that you're somehow going to be safe from the feelings, safe from the emotion if you don't express them or, or voice them, it, like it somehow makes them more real. But no, they sit in there. They can sit in there. I've worked with folks in their 60s. Those feelings are still in there. So I think it's mostly about feeling trust and safety. And the other suggestion is if you do try therapy, if you don't feel that it's a good fit um, with the person, keep trying different therapists. I know that's a pain calling around, getting appointments. There's wait lists around Madison, but keep trying. And now there's lots of therapy services online because of the pandemic really, you know, spurred that on. Um, but people usually never regret that process. We don't have elders in our community or the older generation living in the house or something where we can go seek advice and counsel and support. Therapists fill a little bit of that role. It's become a vocation in our culture for people to be in this role of, of helping. And I always consider myself on equal footing with my clients, and we're just walking down the path together. Um, I'm not the expert on their life. They are the expert on their life. You are the expert on your life. So I hope you, you find the courage to do that. Is that helpful at all, Nicole? It is. It does. Thank you so much, Amy. You're welcome. Have Happy a good New evening. Year. You too. Bye. No calls yet? Okay, I have this question that came in on paper. Um, do you have any suggestions for clearing out a large amount of papers and more important items? I think it says more. Looking for a way to start the process. Um Difference between chronic disorganization and hoarding. Oh, is there a difference? Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I've had this conversation with lots of friends lately about the amount of stuff we have in our houses and, and how much emotional weight that stuff carries. Um, and my best friend... Shannon and I recently exchanged pictures of all the places in our houses where we had stuff packed away and we know we have to go through it like 
I have another friend who moved a year ago and just basically had two people come and clear out his house and do a dumpster, <laughs> which sometimes I'm tempted to do that. But, um, you know, there's going to be stuff in there you might want or that's useful. Um, so this is this is quite a topic. I mean, you know, I have watched that show Hoarders and I know a little bit about it. It's it's I guess it's under the OCD um, umbrella. Chronic disorganization can be a symptom of ADHD. Um, often with hoarding, and these those are not really the same thing, can be the response to a trauma. Because again, people are trying to like build up a sense of safety around themselves and the stuff makes people feel safe. Um, Going through the papers and important items, you know, I know uh, that famous author would say, like, to hold the item and think about, like, if it brings you joy and if it doesn't, to, like, throw it away. And I remember um, my uh, amazing husband, Bill Nagy, passed away unexpectedly about two and a half years ago. And so I have all of his 54 years of life stuff, my 52 years life, my 16-year-old's life of stuff in the basement, in the closets, everywhere. And so when I started little by little going through his stuff, because it was unexpected, I remember thinking instead of, um, (laughs) this is going to sound a little morbid, but instead of holding something and thinking, does this bring me joy? Yeah, maybe do that first and then think, do I want to force a loved one to deal with this if, <laughs> if I die? <laughs> so if you have like tons of stuff and tons of paperwork and you unfortunately, you know, pass away, you're leaving all that stuff for other your loved ones to deal with. I know that sounds terrible, but it's really true. Um, uh, the father of my child has, he's a collector. He has lots of stuff. And I asked him recently, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? If something happens to you? And and his response was, I don't care. I'll be dead. (laughs) And that was pretty good. So, I mean, there's been about five times in my life that I actually hired a professional organizer and sorter. Um, if you have the money, I highly recommend it. And usually they can whip through stuff and they don't throw anything away. They typically help you sort and they go really fast. So even if they're charging whatever amount per hour, um, not supposed to say prices of things, it's they go so fast that it is so worth it. I've had... Um, two women helped me over the years, and, and one of them probably did what would have taken me literally five or ten years to go through. She did in one day with me. So it was worth every penny. If you if you can't afford that, um, I would say to start little by little and just do little bits, little bits. You know, maybe carve out an hour on the weekend to just do this one little pile and eventually it starts to go um and it is very liberating to do that um and think about why you're clinging to these things what is it helping you feel and if they're still helping you like I still have a lot of my husband's stuff around me in the house um things were that he left right where they sit and they're still comforting to me so I'm not going to force myself to move those things or get rid of them. Like, that'll help me move on. No, it's the other way around. Um, but I do know that there's this this thing about saving papers and items. It's a human thing. Probably, again, it goes back to, like, when we were in survival mode, maybe as cave people. And the more stuff we had meant better survival. And we don't need that now. I think, you know, as human beings, we have a lot of primal behaviors that we really don't understand. So we, it's, we don't have to feel bad about it. 
um, we just have to sort of manage it um, to so it's not weighing on us and bothering us. Um, you can once you do start getting rid of little thing, piles of things, it does feel good or organizing them, putting them in bins and labeling the bins, things like that. It's an it's a form of self care for sure. And if it's totally, totally, you know, feels overwhelming, definitely reach out to friends or family to help you. Um, and then maybe you help them do it too. Um, I've sometimes felt pressure to, to have a garage sale, but it just seems like so much work for so little return. For me, I just donate items. I don't want to deal with setting everything up and and doing all that work and that's okay you don't have to try and sell everything you can just donate it um yeah chronic disorganization though if you're seeing that a lot with a child uh you might look into some adhd assessments for them with their pediatrician you might want to do that um that can be a sign of attention issues um the totally disorganized backpack and room and um and it could really help them to get that looked at so that they feel more organized and in control or maybe your spouse or your friend um <laughs> just put your hand lightly on their shoulder and say i'm wondering if maybe you have a little adhd here going on <laughs> i use the wisconsin accent there on purpose any other callers emmett no. Okay, we have about five or six minutes left. Okay, is, we have time for another call. If anyone wants to call, 608-256-2001. 608-256-2001. I also wanted to mention um, WRT, I think, just finished a pledge drive. But this this type of community radio is so important um, as we move more and more into the digital age. The fact that I'm able to even be on the airwaves right now to support public radio, community radio, public radio. You know, we have great stations here in Madison, and this station uh, was a my my late husband was a big supporter of this station, and we gave every month and will continue to I will continue to do that and um you can still go to the website wortfm.org and donate to this station and they have wonderful music programs and news programs I just love it and appreciate it so much and that I could do this and try and help people in the community I've just been sort of shooting off the hip, so I hope I'm saying <laughs> saying things that are helpful. Um, again, if you are feeling, you know, a lot of depression or anxiety or not wanting to live, um, having lots of rage, um, feel free to call 988. That's now the new sort of 911 alternative when you're having a mental health um crisis or just for general resources i think you can call that number or look on the internet for local resources it seems like nowadays if i google anything related to mental health the samsa national hotline pops up first thing any other callers okay well let's see I guess I could just talk for a minute about um, what everyone's talking about today with New Year's resolutions and just to make your goals small so they're sustainable and trying to not just make them external things like rather than I'm going to eat better and exercise and blah, 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 say to yourself, I'm going to show myself more love and respect by moving my body more and giving it nourishment. Um, think of it in terms of 
what the emotional impact will be of the behavior and not just the behavior. Because that's usually, I think, why New Year's resolutions peter out by March, usually, supposedly, statistically. Um, I haven't even thought about any for myself because it seems like every day you can get up and make it a new New Year's, new life moment. You can set your little goals for the day. And you never know what's going to happen every day. You never know. Um, there's my best friend and I always say, it's always something. It's always something every day. It's always something. Yesterday, she had to take the rabbit to the vet. Um, it's always something. Oh, we have another caller. I was, okay, I'll take the call. And then I was <laughs> going to say one more thing about it's always something because you should just expect those. So when they happen every day, you, you can say, oh, there it is. There's the thing that would go kind of wrong. Okay. Hi. You're on the air. Hi, Amy. I have a, my name is Josh. I have a question about um, uh, imposter syndrome. I have, I have had a professional job in Madison for many years. I've worked in my field for 25 years. And nonetheless, no matter how professional and how good I get at my job, I still kind of suffer with this pervasive feeling of imposter syndrome. And uh-huh. Yeah. Go, any, uh, <laughs> any advice or tips on dealing with that for a, a professional person like me? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, why, why do you think it's lasted so long? I really have no idea. Has it gotten better? It has gotten a little better. As I've gotten different different positions and I get more confident in in the work that I do, but I still struggle with the, with these thoughts that I'm not good enough. I'm not good, as good as my coworkers. Is that someone's voice you're hearing, like mom no. or dad? No, it's really not. It's just me wondering if I'm hmm. doing my job okay. And do, does it matter how much praise or or re- positive reinforcement you, you get, or doesn't that matter? Um, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, I only have a minute left. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> I think it's really common, Josh, and um, it goes back to the self-esteem thing. Have you ever been in therapy? Yes, I have, actually. Hmm. Um, when I was so depressed at a job that I, I just, could barely do my job. I, I saw a therapist for a while. Well, you might want to look into that again because this has lasted a long time. Um, and I don't have time now to get into it too much, but just know that it's really um, common, really common. Are you there, Josh? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Um, and I've had it with every job I've ever had. I was a high school teacher and I felt like I was playing school. You know, the whole time I did that, like, people think, who who, who do I think I am doing this? Um, but because mm. of the longevity of this, it makes me wonder, you know, if, if, if therapy might help more to try that again. Um, because okay. if you're questioning your worth in it, can I say goodbye? Oh, okay. I have to end now, but um, this has been sure, wonderful. No <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh Thank you, everybody, for listening and giving me this opportunity to spread some love. And um, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Access Hour. The views expressed on the Access Hour do not necessarily represent those of the station's board of directors, staff, or programmers. Please remember that this show relies on your ideas. You can submit your idea by clicking on Sign Up to Host an Access Hour in the WORT website. The Access Hour is anything you want it to be. This is WORT, Back Porch Broadcasting, Madison.